0: Okay, very excited to speak with Mark Rahasia of Plural today. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Um, So, you know, really excited to have this conversation. Been wanting to have it for a while. But first, I guess let's talk about the basics. Where are you speaking from and what are you up to? Uh,
1: I am speaking from a sunroom in the back of my home in Dufferin Grove, Toronto. Uh, and what am I up to? I mean, I'm trying to make the world of work better, I guess, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, How did you start that, Plural? Question, How did that
0: come to be? What's the, what's the background around that?
1: Yeah, so, so I guess first I should clarify what Plural is. So Plural is a, a small boutique uh, org design and change consultancy. Uh, started it about, it's relatively young, actually, about eight months old. Um, but I've been doing this work, I'd say for the better part of a decade now. Um, and, and basically I I tend to say like, we help, uh, relatively ambitious, uh, organizations that are trying to shift some aspect of how they organize, lead and work. Um, we work with, uh, organizations of all types and scales. So from, uh, large enterprises. Is to mid-sized nonprofits, to uh, early-stage startups um, that obviously uh, have very different contexts that they're operating in, um, and usually we work with their um, executive leadership uh, as well as with teams at the edge. But but we don't really work with an organization unless we're working with their executive leadership, um, and we can talk more about that later and about why. But um, and you know it's usually longer-term partnerships where they're they have a vision for where they want to go uh, and and they're stuck in some way and they they know that that something about how they organize and lead and work needs to shift in order to get there and and we're we're kind of like their partner on that journey of figuring out how to how to evolve the organization uh, uh, you know figure out who they want to be and how to express who they want to be through all parts of how they work
0: and how'd you get into this? What did, was there some crucible moment? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: How did I get into doing this
1: work? So um, I often will say that like my, i sort of say like my twenties, like the first, my first sort of decade of life where I was a working person, I kind of identify as having been chronically disaffected with work, like just not, um, you know, there's kind of like, had a knack for landing on my feet or landing in good jobs, a knack that I now probably understand maybe a bit better as, as, uh, as different forms of privilege. Um, but I, I had a, a, a series of relatively good jobs, um, that friends of mine thought were great and cool and interesting. And I was just sort of meh about them. Like there was something that just wasn't, wasn't right. Yep. And, um, and so, you know, I just kind of had this, like, is this it feeling uh, most of the time in most of the jobs that I had, like something wasn't right about the organization, about the roles, about the culture of the places, about, um, you know, and I, I certainly didn't feel like I was really developing or growing all that much. I just sort of felt like I didn't fit into those places. Um, and Eventually, I, you know, when I look back, most of my roles were in services, and most of my roles were in some way about strategy. And so I sort of identify as a strategist and background. Um, and and uh, in my sort of early thirties, early mid thirties, I relocated to the states. I spent about a decade in New York and I worked with a small boutique strategy firm. And I'd say like that was the transformative moment for me for two reasons. One was, was talent density. I worked with a bunch of very, very talented people that, um, but the second reason is that the questions that this group of people were asking were, you know, we were working with, with large complex organizations that, um, and this is like beginning of 2010s, you know, like 2010, 11, 12, that were kind of breaking a little bit in the face of what was happening in the world around them. And so there were these riddles that were being presented to us of like, there's something about this operating model that is prevalent in the world this sort of dominant paradigm of management and ways of operating a, an organization that is that is not that is far from thriving in this context that's kind of proving itself to be fragile and breaking and we're we're trying to and we were the strategic advisors to these organizations and and they were asking for our help in sort of vision and strategy questions and we would do that work but then we were really wrestling with you know they they kept they kept saying this vision is is compelling this strategy feels right and we can't do this like there's something about our organization that can't metabolize this this future that you're showing to us and so that that's really how i think about how i got into this journey was like trying to answer this riddle of like how, how do you be a large complex organization or a rapidly scaling organization today and and metabolize all the change that's around you, and and uh, and not break. Um, and that that's sort of the 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 rabbit hole that I tumbled down, um, and I continue to tumble down. And I've kind of discovered this vastness in that rabbit hole of like basically how organizations work, and um, you know how they either inhibit us and hold us back from achieving great things, or how they enable us to do you know greater things than we could do on our own. So. It's, uh, it's something I'm pretty fired up about. I bounce out of bed every morning thinking about it. And, um, you know, it's, it's great work. I mean, I get to work with amazing, amazing people that are trying to do good work and that are, that are struggling in this vessel that they're inside of uh, and trying to figure out how to, how to make it work for all of them.
0: Has your kind of definition or what it takes for these organizations to, I guess, succeed or transform changed? Since you've started, is there are there certain things you wake up and you know if the organization thinks this way or does this, it will help the change process. It'll help them get things done.
1: Has my definition of success with these organizations changed? Absolutely. You know, like I, when I, you know, when I started this work, uh, I, I'm sure this is relatively common kind of journey for for. Uh, anyone who's sort of trying to intervene in a system or an organization and and bring change is like I had this sort of like fixed normative view in my head about what what good looked like. You know, it's like, uh, well, they, you know, they just they just need to distribute authority and empower people, and they need to do, you know, like it was relatively simple in my head, like right. just do these things, and then every and then it's utopia, you know, everything's perfect. And, um, you know, it's, the, now it's like, I kind of laugh at the hubris and the ignorance and, you know, that that perspective back then that like, one thing I've learned is that um, it never looks anything like what I think it looks like at the beginning. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I think of success now as, look, every organization, um, Consciously or unconsciously, a bunch of choices are being made about who they want to be, like how they want to be as an organization. Um, you know, like what kinds of principles they want to kind of, uh, you know, fuel the way that they engage with each other and decide and do work. Whether conscious or not, these things exist. And and I th- I think what what success looks like for me now is that is that these are more intentional choices that that they come you know out in front of us that we decide who do we want to be you know what's important to us do we want to you know do we want to distribute authority do we want to become a place that really is focused on developing people uh you know like do we want to become this adaptive fluid dynamic thing do we want to work iteratively do we want to reflect and learn like what are the things that how do we want to be and and making that decision sort of first and kind of coming back to that decision like are we who we say we want to be and then, and then what success looks like is really figuring out how to express those things, those principles across the organization. And the reality is that that's their work, not necessarily our work. Um, and we're, we're, we're trying to help them figure out how to express it. And that's been a pretty liberating conclusion to come to for me because I, first of all, I've realized that like the work that we do looks very different across different organizations. That the right way to express, um, you know, uh, the right way to get fast, or sustainably fast, or the right way to become a more agile organization, or the the right way to create psychological safety in an organization—it's not exactly the same in every place. That it looks different, and you've got to do the work of figuring out how to express those things. So, so now, you know, and and the, the last thing I'll say is like what what I've uh, a sort of bruise or battle scar I figured out is like when I first started doing this work, I think that implicitly what I believed was that the change work in an organization or this evolution work in an organization was somehow our work. It was Plurals work or it was my former team's work. And I've since realized that it's not our work, it's their work. And, and that's really changed a lot is like what it, what it, what success looks like is really building capacity internally um, uh, for others, uh, and really for everyone inside an organization to work on the system, and to to more actively get involved with shaping the context in which they do their work. Like, that's what success is. Success is, is, is um, a, a sort of new set of ideas that maybe... To become more dominant inside an organization, ideas that are more liberating, liberating that can help people flourish more, that can help people get work done, um, and that and that there's a growing group of people inside that an organization that really um, have a bias to action and have have really you know like um, autonomy and and uh, and and the capacity, the ability to actually engage on the system and work on, on the organization, not just the leaders.
0: And you kind of alluded to this earlier, but besides the differences in the organizations, because you have this unique perspective where you can work with organizations of differing sizes, is there, do they, do they have the same issues when they're trying to transform? Are some, are some ways of motivating or moving them easier than others? Have you, have you noticed any patterns that where it's like more dependent on the size of the organization than actually like the culture of the industry?
1: Yeah. That's a great question. I, you know, so as a, as a service provider um, you'll often run into clients that um, you know, I guess the term I use for it is that they, they think of themselves as snowflakes um, that their problems are, are completely unique to, to, to them and only them. Um, and I don't, I think it, I think of that as being—it's sort of partly true. Like, obviously, every organization has a sort of unique culture um, uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, an expression of a whole bunch of stuff of the decisions made in the last ninety days, and and you know how people show up and what their offsites are like, and all these, you know, and, and the leadership style of uh, in the organization, all those things. So, of course, there there are these differences, but. Um, But the the patterns of dysfunction in organizing human beings together and doing work together are very common uh, across different scales. Like everyone is trying to get, like I I sort of joke often that I've spent a good amount of time inside the leadership development programs of a lot of these different organizations. And my observation, having been inside these different leadership development programs, is that they're about 80% the same now, Um, is that everyone's trying to become faster and more agile and more adaptive and more psychologically safe and more diverse and more open and more, you know, like they've all, they're in violent agreement with one another about what they wanna become. And they're all stuck in similar ways. Um, they're stuck with with sort of some inhibiting beliefs that people have, they're stuck with, you know, uh, with fear that people have of letting go of control or ownership of things, um, you know, and, and there's just, there's 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 common, there's just these common, common patterns um, your question about does it differ by scale? So I say that that's true. I mean, particularly with, you know, it's been relatively recent in the last few years that I've been working more with startups. And, um, you know, I'd observed that there's some, some pretty common patterns within startup organizations as well. Like you have, you know, you're going from from basically a context where where formality or explicitness isn't really needed because you're five people working in a space together and you all know each other and you you're very comfortable with 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 a lot of fluidity, um, but you know the moment you add someone that hasn't been part of that group for a while, suddenly uh, all the things that you take for granted, um, you know, uh, become these open questions, and that explicitness becomes more necessary. So. Um, you know, with with startups, there's there's yeah, there's some very common common challenges. There's the the you know the founder that's learning to be a CEO and the difference between those roles. There's um, you know the inevitable uh, um, introduction of a sort of a new kind of leadership layer that didn't exist where you have enough scale of human beings inside the organization that you need you know I guess what traditional org design would call sort of line manager roles. Um, and they've never had those before. And so there's no standards for, you know, what, what do we expect from a role like that? What is the work of doing a role like that? Um, and, and even, even more than that, there's no real, like, philosophy that's defined about leadership in the organization, because you didn't need it. So like, what do we believe about leadership or management in this place? Um, and you, you have a bunch of people that are in positions leading teams that are that are in those roles because they were there at the beginning, not necessarily because they're they models of the of this particular philosophy or these principles about how to how to show up as a leader in an organization. Um, so yeah, so so there's definitely common patterns. I find that it it's not really a kind of category specific thing most of the time. Um, uh, I guess is what I'd say.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Something we kind of briefly talked about before we started recording, but I think we're both in agreement that this way of working is small now, maybe kind of niche or niche, but is growing. And I'm kind of stuck in this chicken or egg dilemma where I can't determine if actually this decentralized distributed way is how we actually want to work, but we have this formal authority and before the world was wrapped in fiber optic cable, we kind of needed this chain of command to disseminate information. But now that, now that that's over, like the next generation who's raised on the internet, is gonna necessarily, they're gonna naturally, I mean, kind of change the way they work. Or is it that, no, we're actually as human beings, we need somebody to tell us what to do. And this other way of distributing authority and running decentralized is actually, it might be better, but it's actually abnormal to our nature. Do you have any kind of thoughts?
1: That's juicy. Um, and you know, I mean, I'd say like, I don't know that my thoughts are super well-formed on it. I, I have been wrestling with the same question a lot about, you know, like getting into, uh, you know, the work of, um, to a butcher's name, but Yuval, uh, I've got this book right here, Yuval Noah Harari, um, like his book, Sapiens, just on like understanding human nature, like the, the human being in the organization. And, um, I don't know answer that. I mean, I believe that there is plenty of evidence that says that we are doing a terrible job at harnessing the potential of people um, with the existing management paradigm. Um, We are ostensibly grown-ups in our day-to-day lives. You know, like, we don't have somebody telling us what to do in the rest of our life. Um, we make decisions for ourselves and we, we stumble and we accumulate scratches and bruises and, you know, and we learn and we grow. Um, and, and, and then, you know, nine to five or whatever the evolving hours are, we, we step into these organizations where this idea that we are, we are grown people that can make choices and, you know, um, that, that somehow flies out the window and that, and that. Um, so I, I, I reject the idea that, that we, that we need, uh, you know, someone to, to tell us all what to do. Um, and I think, I think that, you know, in the work that I do, I see a lot of evidence that says that, um, that by giving more authority to people and more autonomy to people, um, that those closest to the work generally have, you know, the best data and the best instincts about what to do, about what they're working on. Um, but also that like, you know, the funny thing about, about um, a lot of these, you know, say the, the more traditional organizations um, operating in more traditional ways is that they talk a lot about leadership and about the importance of developing leadership capacity. For my money, one of the best ways and the fastest ways to develop that capacity in people is to give them more responsibility, <laughs> is to give them, you know, is to give them more space um it's that's how you learn that's how you develop that capacity that's how you develop that judgment is by making choices you know um and so we've by by disempowering them um you know and and basically kind of uh cultivating this sort of like learned helplessness that that you know you you um y- you should stop and ask you know for guidance you're you're sort of you're you're teaching them to not to not make choices for themselves, to not you know, to not even trust their own instincts about it. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I believe. Um, I don't want to misrepresent things though, and say that like the other side, you know, this sort of like uh, more teal based, you know, dynamic, fluid, you know, distributed authority model is is either one hundred percent clear and figured out, or that it's easy it brings its own set of challenges. You know what I'd, what I'd say is that um, I choose the set of problems and the set of riddles in the world of, of decentralization and distributed authority over the old set of problems, which is basically kind of like oppressive and um, you know barely harnesses the, the potential of human beings. Um, and honestly, it's just proving to, to make organizations too slow to, to, to be competitive and to seize the opportunities in front of them these days.
0: I, th- I think you can even see it in customer support. Like it's very obvious to me what agents have agency to actually solve my unique problem for like, because they're close to it versus the ones that have to follow the algorithmic script. And it's a terrible experience. And I'd imagine a job where you just kind of have to follow that top down given script. It's probably not as enjoyable as the person who actually gets to have some leeway to, to solve the problem, yeah, um, but call centers
1: didn't call centers didn't exist when when command and control <laughs> was created. You know, like they weren't solving for a situation where somebody had to solve a problem and make a decision in real time. In the instance, they were solving for a problem of like you know on railroads of like we've got a problem and we've got maybe like somewhere between three months and two years to solve it what do we do? And in that con- in that context, it made perfect sense for them to run it up the flagpole. They didn't need to invest in that person like on the rail line, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, having all the, the data and the, the capacity necessary to make that decision. Um, but a call center decision where someone's sitting there talking to a frustrated customer um, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and potentially in a position to resolve the need that they have right now, then that's a context in which Stopping and asking for permission is is a bug.
0: I think I lost the very last thing you said. Oh, stopping I was just and asking saying, permission is is a
1: bug. Yep. It, you know, it's it, it's a bug, not a feature. It's uh, you know, it's 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 holding. It's holding back the, you know, the organization and the, and the, the call center representative in that moment and the, the reputation and the brand of the organization. Um, and you're seeing more of this. You're seeing, you're seeing these, these call centers trying to kind of at least make explicit what the boundaries of authorities are for someone, say, in a call center role uh, in that moment so that they, so they can ultimately create a better experience for people by, by using their judgment and making, making decisions um, that are in service of the organization and the, and the customer in that moment.
0: I, I also like what you said earlier about kind of um, empowering the ind- individual as a, as a person. Because one of the things I always laughed about last time I was a manager and I, I couldn't put this into words like I can now, but they would come to me and say, okay, how can I improve? How can I get better? And I just laugh and I, because I just be like, I can tell you how to be more like me, but that would be terrible advice because your gifts are different than mine. You're, you know, we have different personalities. Like I, I, so I'd say, well, how do you think you can get better? And then they'd say something. I'd be like, that makes sense to me. You know, let's go and like, you know, yourself, you know what you want. You're that person. So I just, I just have this, I just really think that the, I call them the TikTok generation. They're going to have no patience for middle management and bureaucracy or being one of those middle managers, bureaucrats. Uh,
1: Yeah, but one of the things you're poking at right now is another one of the kind of very, very fundamental, um, you know, kind of paradigm shifts that's happening inside of organizations right now, which is like, you know, the ongoing redefinition of what, what a manager or someone in a lead role of a team, like what that role is. Yes. Can you talk Um, more about that? You know? Yeah, so, so. I I did a project a few years ago, actually, with a large enterprise client, um, European organization that was, that was noodling on this question. And it's fascinating to sit and, and map with them. Like, what do we think of, what is a manager today? Like, what do we think of as the work of being a manager? And, um, you know, and, and we're able to synthesize certain kind of shifts or, or things that we're, we're expecting. So like what, what, what that role is, is, um, needed less for these days is making all the decisions, <laughs> uh, you know, like telling people what to do, <laughs> uh, get, you know, like, uh, prescribing, prescribing tasks and actions for people to, 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 to take. Um, and, and we're seeing these sort of like different, different needs and capacities that are emerging. So like one of the ones that gets talked about the most is more of like the, this, this role as more of a coaching role. Um, and, and I, am seeing this in, in almost every large organization I work with is they're like wrestling with this, this reality that they, they need to see the people that are in these, that have positional authority today that lead large groups of people, you know, um, or larger teams that, um, that what they really need those people to be able to do more of is, is coach, um, is to take a coaching stance. And it's a really fascinating moment to watch because the reality is that, um, All the people that are currently sitting in these roles, they didn't, they didn't attain the position in the organization that they're at right now because they were a great coach. Some of them may have, but many of them didn't, you know, many of them got to to that position because of other capacities they have or other outcomes they were able to create in some way or another, but not necessarily because they enjoy coaching because taking a coaching stance is a natural thing for them to do because they know how to do it. And so you're observing a lot of people in manager roles that are, that are a little bit frozen in the headlights seeing themselves being being you know hearing this word said around them a lot and so i'm seeing a lot of investments in that area and organizations and just trying to figure out like what what does it mean to be a coach how do we how do we coach our team members more and so taking the example that you gave um you know like the the response that you gave where basically you responded to that team member with a question instead of saying like here's what i think you should do to get better you responded with a question, you know, like, um, like that's an example of taking more of a coaching stance with them. Um, so, you know, and, but then there's some other areas that I'm definitely seeing, uh, and this, this is to Sobel, I think is like, um, other capacities that I believe people in these kinds of, you know, that have positional authority, that lead teams that need to, that they need things they need to do more of these days, one is ultimately about cultivating uh, cultivating psychological safety in their teams. Um, uh, you know, cultivating safety, cultivating diversity, cultivating a sense of belonging in their teams. Uh, like basically creating the conditions for great work to happen. Um, and and that's something that's that's I think relatively new to people that have positional authority today. They didn't need people weren't talking about that as they were developing. And they can't look to the leaders above them to learn how to do that because they didn't know how to do those things. And so I see I see a lot of um, need and effort being put there. But the other one is is what I tend to call just sort of like uh, working on the org. Um, so the by definition, these roles that have a lot of positional authority and influence that that basically are kind of either empowered or trusted to work on the system. Um, and by that I mean team structure, what roles exist, what roles are accountable for what, um, where authority lives in the organization, what processes or systems we have to enable people, um, you know, to help us do our work. Um, so like you and anyone that kind of embraces self-organization or self-management, I believe ultimately that everyone can do that work and everyone should be able to contribute to that work. But I also believe that that people that hold a lead role on a team have a, it's probably a greater portion of their work to work on the system and work on the organization than everybody else. In a scaled organization, there's a lot of people that hold roles in delivery where they just have to, they, they've gotta, they've gotta, they've gotta, um, you know, they maybe have less of their time available to quote unquote, work on the system. Um, but people in these kinds of lead roles, I'd say, I, I often say to clients that like, imagine that maybe if you're a manager of a team or a, you know, a lead of a large organization, Imagine, like, as a provocation, that maybe like thirty percent of your time should be spent working on the organization, like basically working on the system, looking at the the organization as a system and how it is either in enabling your people or it's like inhibiting and blocking them. And that means, you know, like running retrospectives with them and going and talking to them and listening to them and understanding like what's where are the people in the organization really stuck. And then learning how to, how, to, um, and, and, and how to invite participation from them into seeing experiments that you can do to continue to evolve the organization. That is a kind of work that I think managers uh, in, in traditional organizations especially need to be doing a lot more of. But the problem is they've never been trained how to work on an organization. They've never done organization design before. No one ever taught them how to design their team. Like they inherited a team, they designed a team like the one that looks, you know, the the one that, you know, that's sitting next to them, but they've never actually learned how to work on the organization. And I think like this is probably the work that I'm most excited and energized by is basically kind of democratizing this capacity. Um, and like growing the ability of, uh, you know, of everyone in the organization, but first starting with the people that are in these, these, that hold positional authority today and saying like, let's work with how, let's start to step into working on the system. How do we do that? How do we work on organizations? Um, and, and what what I love about Sobel is that it, it helps create a shared language for the organization so that everyone can play, so that everyone can participate. Um, says, Let, let's say that our organization is made of these things. It's made of teams and roles and decision rights and, you know, agreements. Let's say our organization is made of these things. Now, how do we play with them?
0: Awesome. Yeah, I, so I think um, I'm going to use your answer now when people ask me what's the role of managers, because I've always got like tongue tied around it because I wasn't sure. I, that's the best explanation I've heard yet. So I'm going to steal that from you. Um, Agree with you definitely on the syllable role in this. Um, And I know we're running up against time. Um, Really appreciate this conversation. Hopefully we'll have more. Where can people learn more about you and Plural?
1: Yeah. So uh,
0: if you're curious
1: uh, to learn more about Plural, um, you can find us online at plural.works. And you can email me anytime. My name's Mark. So mark at plural.works. Reach out let's grab a virtual or real coffee. Um, and if you are, uh, and th- this is sincere, like I am, one of the things that energizes me most is to connect with other people that are kind of up at night thinking about this stuff and bounce out of bed thinking about it. So if you're one of those people, then I'd love to connect um, and just kind of continue to build community and, and, and share uh, share the stuff that we're doing and learn from what you're doing. So, so please reach out.
0: Awesome. All right, thanks, Mark.
1: You got it. Thanks, Donnie.